Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are discussing Wolf Creek from 2005, directed and written by Greg McLean, starring Nathan Phillips, Cassandra McGrath, Kesty Marassi, and John Jarrett. In this film, three friends are on a backpacking trip in a remote region of Australia when some car trouble leads to an unfortunate encounter with a local. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk about the movie background spoiler-free type info for the first 15 or 20 minutes. After that, we'll take a little break and play some transition music, and we'll go into the spoiler section of the show where we walk through the plot beat by beat and give a review of the movie. So once you hear that transition music, it's time to duck out if you haven't seen it yet. This is currently streaming on, I think, Tubi and Roku, so... You can go watch it if you don't want to get it spoiled for you by us. And before we get too deep into the show, uh, we have an announcement regarding a special Evil Dead Rise giveaway for our listeners. Evil Evolves in Evil Dead Rise, a tale of two estranged sisters in a primal battle for survival. Own Evil Dead Rise now on digital by being one of the first four people who email us at podcast at horrormovieclub.com or one of the first four Patreon subscribers to message us through Patreon. So if you're one of those first four, either via email or Patreon, we will send you a code to own Evil Dead Rise on digital. So if you're interested in owning it, you just email us, podcast at horrormovieclub.com, or message us on Patreon if you're a Patreon subscriber. Should I say one more time what people have to do, or you think they got it? Uh, I, I, I was like, one more time, just okay. for <laughs> good luck. Um, by the way, this was a request from Christine H. So, hello, Christine, and thank you for the request. Can't remember when that was made. I think it was recently, but uh, just felt like a movie that had been floating around in the atmosphere for a while for me that I always kind of thought, no, I got to see that one. See, it name dropped quite a bit, and I still hadn't seen it. Had you? No, I hadn't even heard about it. So, uh, yeah, really glad someone told us and, and you knew about this. Were you aware of it when it came out or just like in the last few years doing this podcast, you heard about it? Um, Somewhere in between. I don't think I was aware of it like immediately in 2005, 2006, but in the past decade or two, I've seen it floating around on lists. Cool. And uh, similar to like Hatchet, it's kind of a franchise. Like there's a sequel and a TV show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for the director, Greg McLean, this film was kind of his ticket to success. And yeah, it spawned this this franchise, Wolf Creek 2, in 2013. He directed, wrote, and produced, just like he did for this movie. Uh, Wolf Creek 3 is supposedly coming out in development. It's got to release it in 2023. I'm not quite sure if that's actually going to happen, but we'll see. And then, as you mentioned, there's a TV series called Wolf Creek from 2016 to 2017, which he directed, produced, and wrote. And he's also the author, co-author of two novels about Mick Taylor, the fictional villain from this movie. That's really cool. Man, uh, yeah, I feel like that uh, Mick Taylor, um, yeah, it seems like he should be a, a bigger villain uh, given like the legacy of this film. Or like it should be like a household, I don't know if it should be a household name, but a name people are familiar of. When, 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 like I, I'd never heard of him before. Like among the ranks of Victor Crowley from Hatchet yeah, and stuff like exactly. that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like there are these like B movie uh, villains that uh, I had never heard of before. Sure, I think they're iconic to a certain subset of horror fans. Right. Uh, this dude directed some other horror films like 2016's The Darkness uh, and the Belko Experiment from the same year. I haven't seen any of his other work. 
Uh, but this film, he got of a lot of acclaim for it, and it, it was pretty polarizing, though. The Rotten Tomatoes critic score is only 55. Uh, the user score is 49%. But it was nominated for seven Australian Film Institute Awards. Slant Magazine included it in their list of 100 best films of the decade. Not horror movies only, films <laughs> of the decade. Wow. Uh, Esquire once listed it as the 14th scariest film of all time. You just you find it on little lists wherever you go for movies and to find new movies. People put it on their little lists of like good horror movies or horror movies that scared them. Uh, we'll we'll find out if we agreed or not after the uh, musical interlude. But mm-hmm. it also performed well. Budget of one point four million Australian dollars and a box office of thirty five million Australian dollars. So that's like twenty five times its budget or something. Yeah, that's a pretty big hit. Did you see what day it was released on in the U.S. and Canada? No. What day? Christmas Day. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, that's that's tough. I I don't know (laughs) why you would do that. Nothing about this film says Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's that's a stretch. Well, actually, uh, in Australia, I think Christmas is in July, right? Because they're in the Southern Hemisphere. Well, they don't celebrate Christmas on a different day. I think uh, down there, Jesus was born on uh, in July 25th. Oh, okay. <laughs> so June 25th. It's a well-known fact. All right. Put that in the bank, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that $35 million box office in Australian dollars was about $27.7 million in U.S. dollars. So, nothing earth-shattering, but not too shabby. A popular hey, movie. That box office is just Australia, then? That's a good question. I'm, I assume it is. Okay. Yeah, I wonder how it did in the U.S. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, but I'm sure you're right. Like, yeah, releasing a movie around that time, a horror film, probably didn't get I want to say I saw it was like seventh in the box office in the U.S. on its opening weekend. Ah, um, okay. Which is, isn't great, but I, I, that's kind of what I would expect for a Christmas Day <laughs> horror Australian <film>. <laughs> horror movie that takes black place in the sunny outback. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that sounds about right. This was loosely based on the murders of backpackers committed by a guy named Ivan Millet or Millot in the 1990s in Australia and a guy named Bradley Murdoch in 2001. I read a little bit on those murders, but not too much. Um, it sounds like pretty loosely based and some things are borrowed from each from the various different murders. And it's basically a fictional mm-hmm. story with a similar premise to the actual events that happened, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, those kind of stories uh, you hear like every few years, I feel like you hear about like tourists or backpackers getting lost, uh, some kind of killer or person abducting them out there. So, yeah, I, I think it, any, any of those stories could be the inspiration here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, enough that it has the based on true events in its marketing and, you know, and the title card at the beginning of the film says the same the title card is like a, a pie chart, like 30,000 people it's, it's, go missing. It's got some math. Them, yeah. It's like, well, I could see this. So uh, 90% of them are found, 10% are missing. So, I'm going to get right into my criticism of that title card, my immediate <laughs> criticism of the movie. It was just so, it kind of like took the punch out of itself. So it says, this story is based on true events. 30,000 people go missing in Australia every year. 90% are found. <laughs> then the next title card, but some are never seen again. <laughs> it's just like, you kind of like 
took the wind well, out of your own sails with a 90% are found. Just skip that and say, <laughs> in Australia, 3,000 people go missing every year and are never seen again. <laughs> I mean, why, <laughs> why make I us know. do the math and make it sound less impressive than it is? I don't know. I, I thought it caters to people like you and I who like spreadsheets and like showing how like a, a certain target segment of a broader segment, like kind of focusing on who the, the target group is. Uh, I, I kind of liked it because I, I feel like that's how I would think about it analytically. Well, how many people is that out of? Like uh, if it's 3,000 out of 30,000, that's something. But maybe if it's like 3 million, then is that something? So it gives you kind of a benchmark. I like data, but I don't want to do number crunching immediately in, in a horror film. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It, was, it caught me by surprise. It's was, it was really funny, though. Uh, as part of the low production aesthetic and just requirements for being on a low budget, they shot this on high-definition video. Uh, it was shot by Will Gibson. I don't have a whole lot of background info on this worth sharing, buddy. Do you? Um, no, I think just the other thing, uh, John Jarrett, who plays um, the bad guy in this, um, he is a method actor, so it just sounds like he got pretty intense and into the role on this one. Um, didn't shower his arms, I think, for weeks for uh, makeup reasons, I think. Um, Did you say and- didn't shower his arms? <laughs> That's what I said. He showered the rest <laughs> of himself? He showered the rest of himself. Well, so there's a rumor that he didn't shower at all, like the whole time, just to build uh, this grime on him. But then I saw a correction that it was just his arms that he didn't wash uh, for some for, to, to maintain some makeup. So it's, it's one of those. I would like to see that shower. <laughs> I mean, not really, but just like a torso up. How does yeah. he pull that off? <laughs> I imagine like you put your hands up and like hold on to the shower head uh, and you just point it down. That, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just like picturing like being his spouse and like hearing <laughs> him from it. the shower like, oh, God damn it, I got my arm wet. <laughs> <laughs> not again yeah uh but yeah he, he just sounds like a really intense actor and, and this uh similar to the director kind of blew him up uh into other roles um and then yeah no i think that's all i had i, I think you hit on everything else though uh you mentioned the critics re- reviews it being in the 50s so pretty divided why do, why do you think this one is so divided I, I saw a lot of critics uh writing this off as like torture porn and like stuff you shouldn't uh like you know you don't need an audience for or whatever but I also thought, like, this period of horror, you already had a lot of that coming with, like, um, Eli Roth and, like, the hostels and stuff. So why do, why do you think this one was getting so much flack? This is a really difficult one because, to me, I'll just say right now, it's a violent movie, but it's not anything over the top or outrageous compared to some of the stuff we had seen, yeah, even before this movie came out. It's not like oh, now we're looking back almost 20 years later. It's like, no, nah, even for the movies at the time. Exactly. This wasn't yeah. that bad. I mean, it, it's certainly a grisly uh, and right. unpleasant, but uh, like Ebert gave it zero out of five and walked out. and Right. He gets on his high horse like that every once in a while like yeah. about violence, but then at other times he's like super into it. Yeah, I feel like he did that a lot with violent movies where if he didn't like the movie, he was like, we shouldn't be depicting this kind of violence. And if he did yeah. like the movie, he was like, amazing. Great. I love it. Right. He'll like overlook it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I get. I, I, think, I mean, I, I'm like that too sometimes. Yeah. Uh, watching this, did you feel like this was torture porn? 
Uh, man, I just realized I like low key compared myself to Roger Deeper. <laughs> oh yeah, and a knee. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> Did I feel like it was torture porn? No, I didn't. It has the spirit of torture porn a little bit, but I don't think right. it has the uh, objective data. If we can go back to the data, <laughs> I don't think it has the data to support that claim. I think if you took the elements of the movie and tried to bucket this into a genre, I'd put it in hillbilly horror. Yeah, yeah, a lot of commonality with that. Um, There's even the requisite it, gas station. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, the, the harbinger there. Uh, yeah, uh, slasher potentially. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. You could you could put it as a slasher. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. It has the same spirit of like Poughkeepsie tapes as the most recent movie we've covered that. Oh, I feel lives in the same sure. Venn diagram as this. Yep. Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah, it'll be interesting as we go through the plot. Uh, the, yeah, I think there's a lot of overlap. Um, and then Quentin Tarantino, I think, is uh, has this in one of his favorite films. And I think, like, yeah, watching this, I definitely thought of Death Proof. Is that what it's called? Sure, in, yeah. In Grindhouse? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you could see some of that here. Right, right. Man, what year was Grindhouse? Was that 2006? Yeah. I feel like it was like right after like 2007, 2008, maybe. Yeah. I feel like it's somewhere around there. Yeah. Oh. It was very close to this, like within, within a year or two of this film. I was going to look it up, but I'll just let the people shout at us. All right. All right, man. Well, let's, let's hit the Ohio connection and get into this plot. Yeah, let's do it. Our Ohio connection as always is done by our friend Alex, who owns the jukebox bar and restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, shout out to, oh man, I think her name was Taylor. Who recently emailed us to say she was at, she went to Jukebox for a girls' night? So that was awesome Whoa. to hear. That's Any awesome. of you who've gone to Jukebox and let us know, that that's so fun. That's cool for us. It's cool for Alex. Uh, anyway, if you're in the Northeast Ohio area, go check it out. And Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. Can't remember if I said that already. And Alex says, Wolf Creek is a horror film about three backpackers who find themselves taken captive and subsequently hunted by a psychopathic serial killer in the Australian outback. The film was marketed as being based on true events, while its plot bore elements reminiscent of real-life Australian backpacker murders. Outdoorsmen are often the target of predatory behavior. Beginning in April 1989, serial killer Thomas Lee Dillon killed at least five people and possibly as many as 11 victims enjoying the outdoors in random, random motiveless attacks. He would ruthlessly kill hunters, fishermen, and joggers with weapons like his high-velocity rifle. Dylan was finally captured in 1992 when a friend recognized a behavioral profile compiled by the FBI. Like many serial killers, Dylan began with cruelty to animals and started setting fires. He would later admit to setting more than a hundred fires and killing more than a thousand pets and farm animals. Thomas Lee Dylan was born in Canton, Ohio. Ooh, wow. I felt weird reading that with my zippy Ohio connection tone of voice. <laughs> yeah, you know, our Ohio pride. <laughs> he apologized for <laughs> going case. so grim with this, but I think yeah. it's fitting. Uh, I want to say uh, Ohio has a few of those serial killers. It We're Jeffrey big Dahmer on serial from... killers. Or like, yeah. even if they didn't live in Ohio, it's like they come through there on the turnpike and murder a few people. Like, <laughs> yeah, they do. It's like a bucket exactly. list thing. Yeah, yeah. Swing by Ohio, kill a few people. It's like, yeah, you get a badge for that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Got my Ohio badge. <laughs> oh, we shouldn't laugh, but but yeah. Yeah, it happens. Um, oh, go ahead. How do you feel actually about fictionalizing like real life events like this? 
Um, man, I, I struggle because uh, fictionalizing it is is rough because yeah, it's it's so realistic and the stuff is happening to people and uh, is the purpose of watching this to be entertained or to be educated and more like empathetic towards people who go through this scenario um yeah it's it's really weird when it's like so uh realistic which i feel like this film tries to do um so i, I definitely feel conflicted watching these types of films what, what about you same same and it's always weird to me too when i know the director is like researching the real life killers and stuff like that it's just like oh like really Right. But then on the other yeah, token, like here I am joking about like serial killers swinging by Ohio to like check off their <laughs> bucket list. So, yeah. I, but then it's like that's a passing joke. But to be the director or writer, you got to like live in that space for a while. It's just like, right. huh, okay. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's a weird commitment uh, to live in that space. What do you think is uh, more um, difficult? Uh, these types of movies where it's based on real events but it's like a fictional character and in, in victims or like that tv show like the Dahmer one that came out like last year where like they're actually you know focusing on someone who was there and like depicting that ah i don't know I that's a tough question to answer because I, I didn't see that show but i do feel like it's just i i am in general and no offense to any of you listeners we all like our own weird things i like really bloody movies it's just weird how into true crime we are. Like, as a society, why do we want to hear all of hours and hours about it? Like, yeah, I don't this know. A, this is a strong fascination that I, I feel a little better with a movie like this because it is all fictional versus the ones that are based on real life events. Then you feel like you're driving some uh, entertainment value from people who've actually been killed, like real people. Right. Exactly. But, yeah. I feel like this movie does too a little bit, but just, I, why even say based on true events? Like, yeah, it's just, a, it's a marketing <laughs> gimmick. I know, but yeah, it's like, if you didn't, then you didn't, you went out to muddy the waters and like feel bad about it at all. That's true. Yeah. I don't know if that really changes the, the narrative though. I don't know. At the end of this movie, did you, I, I did, I find my, I found myself kind of looking into like, yeah, how, how realistic it was. Um, or like, yeah, how much based on reality it was. Like, so do you think like when movies say that at the beginning, it has an effect on people? I think it does have an effect on people. I, I don't think it's. Sh- <laughs> I think people are getting wise enough to know now that it can mean almost nothing. Most of the time, it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I still like to double check for that one time. It might mean something. Right. Right. Yeah. It gives you something to go research afterwards. So sure. Right. Which exactly. I'm sure is also good for drumming up publicity. And yeah, get get yeah, an internet works. hits. Exactly. exactly. All right, man. Well, let's let's walk through this plot. But I think I might want to like do that in a little while. So can I call you back? Um, our neighborhood is having a block party, and there's a massive game of hide and seek going on that I really want to participate in. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah, go right. for it. I don't think it'll take too long, but yeah, I'll call you back when I'm back. All right, cool. Cool. All right, man. I uh, I think I fooled everybody pretty good, and they're going to be looking for me for a while. <laughs> what would you do? How'd you, how'd you, how'd you uh, hide? So there's this uh, cliff at the end of our street, and I, I pushed my car off the edge of it. So <laughs> they're all going to be looking for me at the bottom of that cliff like a bunch of idiots. <laughs> Those idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Moron. <laughs> the old uh, car over the cliff trick. <laughs> <laughs> Insurance companies love that one. Right, right. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Well, uh, this movie begins with the title cards, like we said, giving us this, the stats that a certain amount of people go missing every year in Australia, and uh, most of them are, are found, but some are not ever seen again. And the film introduces us to our cast of characters, two British women named Liz and Christy, who are on a backpacking tour of Australia with their Australian friend, Ben. They're traveling in a cheap car that Ben has recently purchased, and it's clear there's a young romance budding between Ben and Liz, but not too much attention is given to it. Um, there's a whole lot of minutes in the like the first act that aren't even really worth describing. It's just partying and then like dicking around and stuff. Uh, what do you think about the first like thirty minutes or so of this mo- of this movie? I, I loved it. I love this type of uh, character building where it's not all like dialogue that has a purpose for the plot. It's more just like settling into the characters and their relationship and their connections and the way they're interacting together. And yeah, th- this relationship that's building between the two of them feels like so organic and uh, real. And uh, yeah, like the partying uh, night uh, looks like a good time and like how they're like just like out on the road in the station wagon, like having fun playing guitars and stuff. Um, and it's just like so unstructured that uh, I, I I liked it a lot. And I thought like the way it was shot with like the hand cam feel and like uh, edits, um, yeah, really captured that energy of like, yeah, you're just hanging out with like three people. Uh, what did you think? To be honest, man, I kind of hated it so far. Like it just... <laughs> it felt like so forced like oh it's authentic interaction and the camera is moving around a bunch like you're just there with them i just i did not care for it the dude's playing acoustic guitar in the back seat of the car as they're like driving around yeah it just felt like forced charming interactions no way how yeah uh, you know, I, I think about like, you know, we just talked about like the fly last week and basically every conversation in a movie like that, which, uh, I, you know, I, I know you liked a lot, um, is like about, uh, like the, the plot of the film, uh, or has to do with like, yeah, with the events that are happening. Um, whereas here you've got, uh, just like randomness, like there, I, it's not even <laughs> exactly. expected. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. So I, how, how does that feel forced if like, it's just like conversation all over the place that has nothing to do with the plot and it's just like people hanging out? Because I think it's two things combined. Like this, I know I've mentioned this on another episode, maybe even on my Hellraiser episode. The camera work gives me NYPD Blue vibes, which uh-huh. I know for a lot of our listeners, that's like they're probably like, "What the fuck is that?" I'm kind of like, "What it the was fuck a, is that?" Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was a popular cop show that was on in the '90s, and it was kind of a big cultural thing. But the it was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Like it was gritty TV, like before gritty TV was really a thing. You're talking about like cops. No, it's it's like a dra- a cop drama, like The Wire or something. Oh, like that. okay, okay. Um, but the cinematographer for that show named Leslie Dector was kind of pioneering. He did, he just had this style. Like I I read something they called it like restless cam, where the camera was just moving a lot. Like even when nothing was happening, it's kind of bouncing, moving around a little bit. Right. And it was lauded in that show. Like, it it gave it an air of realism, a sense of realism. And that's now become a thing. Like, people people do it. Um, But here, I I guess I'm personally not a big fan of that approach to cinematography. Mm -hmm. And I just found it 
between that and the conversations about absolutely nothing for 30 minutes, <laughs> they're just like, man, we're really trying to get this like travelogue, like we're here with these people vibe. Like it just yeah. felt too much. Got and it. we don't learn it. For all the yapping, we don't really learn anything about these characters other than Liz has a crush on Ben. And and Ben like supposedly has his girlfriend somewhere. Right. Um not sure what the other girls in relationship like I, I guess she's his friends. Um I mean I think I didn't pick this up earlier on, but I guess we could have told by their accents that they're not all from the same country. Uh I don't know if that was apparent to you, was it? They reveal that at a certain point. It wasn't apparent immediately, but yeah. which I guess I should have known if I was more savvy with accents. accents. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like we don't know how they know each other. We don't know why they went on this trip. Yeah. Um, which I, I guess is fine. We don't need that in every movie. But if we're going to spend 30 minutes with them just dicking around, like, yeah. So why not? It all just felt so trite and like typical yeah. to me, like unoriginal. Oh man, I, I thought that was so original because I, I think you spend uh, thirty minutes just hanging out, and, like watching someone, and you feel like you can start to like gather and like put a picture together with them. Whereas I feel like another movie, like they'll like spell it out for you, like the dialogue will be very much to like inform you of who they are. So I thought in these moments you're really understanding like them and their relationship, and like uh, yeah, we don't know exactly what their um, what their travel plans are. We just know they're driving around. Uh, he's got a girlfriend that they're trying to go see. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I like the ambiguity of it because then it feels like very familiar. I hear what you're saying, and I don't want a movie to be like, oh man, I just had such a great time in the other country we were in, and I'm <laughs> yeah. glad I met you guys there. <laughs> and that's how I know you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like I don't Remember need it spelled time. out, but yeah. like I get to know characters by how they react to situations how they interact with each other. Yeah. But like none of these interactions were that impactful. Like nothing happens for them to react to all that much. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It just felt like nothingness for 30 minutes. It's, it's very unstructured. But I, I think that nothingness is very small mannerisms that uh, paint a picture like him throwing the one girl into a pool. Uh, the way oh, that's like, so fucking stereotypical. <laughs> like, oh, he threw a girl into a pool <laughs> yeah. during a party. Like, I, yeah. I know these people now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, that's so like that. stereotypical. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're aligning with the stereotypes that uh, we're holding and just kind of so confirming. Ben. Sorry, I just uh, I'm angry that you said that. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I I, I like this, uh, but yeah, I understand where you're coming from. Where like, uh, yeah, especially if you, like, I'm guessing you you don't like them so far. As I don't. I don't care for these people. <laughs> okay. Yeah, also, they're really growing on me, especially like that that romance, like how it build up when they finally kiss. Like it's just so. Uh, There's something that just feels like so natural and like fun about it that you're kind of rooting for them uh, with with uh, what you're watching. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> this is gonna go two different ways. I can tell already. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So the trio travels to a site oh, at hey. Wolf. I actually sorry, what am I thinking? Uh, you were uh, talking about the the film style and it. Uh, you you don't you don't like that film style of like a lot of camera action, like moving around it and shaking. Is that right? I don't. No. I mean, if it feels like it makes sense for the movie, yes. But it, to me, it's unnecessary here. They're just sticking around. You don't feel like what we're getting here is a blend of the best of both worlds, uh, found footage plus. Uh, like minus like the yeah the garbage that sometimes comes with found footage like the uh like the testimonials or whatever like it's a I I think the moving camera gives like you a sense of action that might not otherwise be there. 
that is the that is the blessing and the curse of it. It's giving us a sense of action that is false because nothing <laughs> is happening. It's yeah. it's it's trying to make up for the fact that nothing else is going on. I guess, but I think what it does also is it makes you as a viewer feel like you have a front row seat that like you're sitting there. So yeah, while you're right, like nothing's happening and it's just three people hanging out and talking. I think that style of uh, camera really makes it feel like you're sitting there like watching them and like being a part of this conversation. I think it can make you feel like you're really there in a chaotic scene. Mm -hmm. But like if they're just hanging around, it doesn't make me feel like I'm there because I'm not moving that much when I'm hanging around. Like I'm not moving vertic on a vertical plane, like bouncing up and down, or just like my head is not like going all over the place. Like sure. it's not. I get that vibe, and, and maybe that's a stupid thing to say. Like, but if the underlying is assumption is like, oh yeah, it makes you feel like you're there. Like, why? Why would it make me feel like I'm there? Like, I know you maybe focus on a variety of different things when you're in a real life setting but yeah i i, I thought it kind of makes it feel like you're, you're you're spying on someone like you're seeing something that you're not supposed to be seeing because because nothing's happening and this is not something that you, you know someone would typically watch but uh here you are like from your viewpoint sitting here uh diving into these like intimate moments of, of these three people yeah yeah i get it okay uh <laughs> we'll cut the bickering short I, I you have a point i think a lot of people are going to agree with you all right yeah um, we'll see but they, they travel to a site at Wolf Creek National Park where a giant meteor once hit. It's here that Ben and Liz finally kiss. And while the gang is on their hike, they have some vaguely otherworldly talk. Like, I wonder why the meteor hit here, in this place, nowhere else. And then the other one answers, maybe it was drawn to something in the earth, like when lightning strikes. And then on top of that, they return to the car to discover that it will no longer start and all their watches have stopped. What did you think at this moment dude i thought aliens are gonna be coming out or something like uh yeah i was i was thinking kind of hills have eyes because they also mentioned earlier that like when this meteor hit it was like 200 nuclear bombs going off so like maybe there's some kind of like uh high radiation zone or like yeah that talk of aliens maybe something's gonna come down or going into this i had werewolves on my mind the whole time because it's called wolf creek so it was <laughs> <had> some, <laughs> some expectation that that there was a, a slight possibility of that happening but yeah that, that that's what i was thinking something radiation maybe something supernatural what about you yeah, I mean, it's hard not to. Also, I just feel like that's a stupid question. Why, why did the meteor hit here in this place and nowhere else? Like, <laughs> well, there's a lot of meteors that have hit other places. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think, um, you know, these are three friends hanging out, going to, like, a cool place in nature. Uh, can we assume, like, there's some drug usage or edibles going on? Because if so, I've, I don't think it's that dumb of a question. I mean, I, I, I would have liked to have seen the drug use take place to oh. justify that dumb question. <laughs> okay. And maybe it was drawn to something in the earth. Like, yeah, yeah gravity. <laughs> gravity. <laughs> it's like, I was just like, what oh. is this whole thing for? Anyway. I, I thought that was a great question. I, I, I okay. really appreciate that. Yeah. All right. You're loving this movie and I'm angry at it. Here yeah. we go. Yep. This is good. Uh, so they plan to spend the night in the car because the car doesn't work anymore. Um, and decide what to do in the morning. But after nightfall, a car swings by with the headlights on, and a local man named Mick indicates that he knows how to fix the car, but the part is back at his place, and he'll tow them to his place and fix it for free. So the gang agrees to this rather than wait until morning for another passerby to come. Would you do that? I think so. Like, Mick uh, is, like, pretty... He seems, like, pretty harmless. 
he's kind of like this funny, uh, yeah, rural guy who's just like willing to help them for like no cost. And and he sounds like he doesn't really care. He's like, yeah, I could I could take you to my place, fix it, uh, or you could just wait here. Like he's not like being overly aggressive or anything and he's kind of like laughing joking around so yeah i mean what are your options at this point like uh what are the chances someone else is gonna come around and, and here's a dude who isn't like overly who, yeah who just seems like really harmless why why, why wouldn't you what you wouldn't i'd be hesitant to go to somebody else's property in the middle of the night and just believe that they have this they just so happen to have the part that our car needs <laughs> at their house yeah and that they can't then like I mean, that itself is kind of unbelievable. Like, you just so happen to swing by, you know cars, and you have the part yeah. that we need. Yeah. And, like, why not? If he was more like, tell you what, I'll I'll come back by with it tomorrow morning. Mm. Um, yeah. That's true. Or I'll go home and call a tow company that'll come get you guys. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's, I wouldn't. I, I don't think I'd do it. Well, yeah, that, those are all like great arguments and like good good calls. I, yeah, I didn't think of any of those. I, I thought like your options were either go with him or stay there and die in the desert. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a park though. I get people go there. It's um, a park, man. But this is like. But they are. It's pretty remote. Yeah, that's the thing. Australia, like it's it's not like a. Yeah, it's just it's so huge, and like I don't know, like places like this, like how often are people going by? It could be days. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be pretty nervous. But yeah, you're right. Uh, ideally, like there, there are a few other options there that you would. And they're consider. they're low on cash, so. Oh yeah. That's another justification. Sure. Right. Um. So they they agree to go with him. They drive to his place, and on the way they, there, they notice his place is way farther away than he originally indicated. Uh, and when they finally get back to his place, he makes a fire and pours them all some water that he says is rainwater gathered from the roof. But soon after they drink the water, they all fall unconscious. Liz wakes up bound and gagged, but manages to cut herself free with a broken shard of glass. And soon she finds Christy being tortured and taunted by Mick. It's clear from what Mick is saying that he's done this before and usually keeps women alive for quite a while and sexually assaults them, perhaps multiple times, before eventually killing them. And we even see the body of one of his past victims. What do you think of this? Was this pretty predictable at this point? I didn't see it coming. Um, no, you yeah, thought this I, guy was good. Yeah, good people. I, I still thought he was like good people. Though I that that scene where they're sitting around the fire, like you start to get some creepy vibes when he's talking about his past work around like killing animals and stuff and poisoning, uh, and he has like some weird reactions. Um, but I thought the way like everyone just kind of passes out, um, like all of this is being done and like and shot in such a way that it just feels like underproduced and like very real. And so, yeah, I was I was pretty surprised when like suddenly like uh, she's like telling the guy to pull something away from the fire and she just like falls asleep suddenly. And that's like your first indication like, oh, sh- oh shit, uh, something's not right here. Uh, and then, yeah, then suddenly like waking up to this brutality that you're seeing happening here. Uh, I thought like we jumped like steps like uh, the, the movie just suddenly like switched gears and, and drastically shifted tone. So, yeah, I thought I thought it was a pretty stark and, and big surprise. What about you? I, it was not a surprise to me just because, I mean, at this point they're like, why is this guy taking so long? Like, <laughs> we're really far. And he gives Ben a really dirty look. I mean, you kind of know what's good. There is a brief alien fake out or whatever it is, radiation. Yeah. But then it's like, okay, now we know what this is. Uh, I, did, but but uh, did you think it was this guy that was going to be doing all the 
torturing or like I, I assumed like yeah at some point someone's gonna come but I, I didn't think it would be this guy like I thought maybe he's got like friends or something that are gonna show up and go to town once he became pretty off-putting at, at the campfire I was pretty confident it was gonna be him ah, okay. I feel like I was pretty confident it was gonna be him once he came around period damn you got a good eye for this the alien or radiation fake out just pisses me off. Like, <laughs> really? Like you? So that's just coincidence that their watches both stopped and and the car died. Yeah, right. That, that's a question I have. Well, I I still don't understand that. I mean, is it? I'm guessing you, Mick made the car. I'm guessing he took apart. You think so? So he like came while they were up. Came on back the, later. Huh. I don't know, man. I think it was the radiation. Cause yeah, what what would have made the watches stop? Oh man. You're, you're, you're so wrong, and I'm going to tell you about it later. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what made the watches stop, so yeah. that's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're saying he came, I, I feel like they would have seen him, like, sneaking up in the daytime and, like, switching out a car part. Well, later it's revealed he does this exact same thing to other people, uh, so you think he just is lucky enough that he happens to find people who have broken down there? Yeah, I think that area is, like, filled with radiation, and so, like, cars break there, like, just like watches, and he knows to, like, kind of swing by, pick up some people, and then get out of there. <laughs> that's, that's what you think? Okay. How does radiation break a car? I don't know, man. It's invisible. You can't see it. <laughs> it just, it, it messes with the electronics. Like, uh, yeah, it's it's got to be, like, a, a high radiation spot. Breaks anything. Yeah, it's breaking watches in cars. And then he knows, he's, like, this local person who knows about that and, and, and swoops in. Okay. All right. Well, we got some scientific background listeners, some scientists who listen, so I'm cool. sure they can weigh in. Yeah. I'm sure it's similar to do with like how the water goes in a different direction in Australia. It's kind of okay. like a similar thing. <laughs> I think that's also a myth. Oh, it is? Actually, that might be real. Oh. Anyway, Liz, to distract him, she sees that this is going on. He doesn't know she's free. So to distract Mick, she sets a fire and she finds a gun and shoots him in the neck he collapses, and she, for good measure, feebly hits him on the back a couple of times with the gun, since she's now out of bullets. And then Liz and Christy get in Mick's truck to escape, but are soon followed by him. He's hey, apparently still alive. Yeah, she, she wasn't out of bullets. I, this is one, one thing I liked. Uh, I think it was, she doesn't know how to work a gun. Like, she's trying to, like, reload it, and, mm. like, it's just not working. And, like, I, I thought that was brilliant, because I'd, I'd feel the same way. Like, I've, I've never held a gun. I don't know how to reload it. And, like, that's something we take for granted sometimes in movies, is, like, a random character finds a gun and is able to use it to get out. But it was kind of cool to see her, like, so frustrated and not knowing how to use it. Uh, did, did that hit you at all? Um, yeah, but hadn't we seen her before, like, load a handgun? Uh, that comes later, I think. And that comes e- later? Even in that, in, in that scene, we see that a similar thing where she doesn't really know what she's doing, and, like, she's trying to fit, like, different bullets into it and doesn't really understand how it works. Okay, gotcha. Um, <clears throat> so let's see. So they, they evade him, they exit in his truck, and they get to a cliff... And instead of backing up and driving elsewhere, they get out of the truck and push it over the cliff. And then they climb down a few feet on the cliff and hide there so that Mick is going to come thinking they fell off the cliff in the car. And there's a tense moment where he's right there with the flashlight and one of them accidentally, you know, scuffles in the dirt, makes some rocks move. And the other one takes her hand off the grip that's keeping her from falling down the cliff to shush the other girl as if she doesn't know that she should be quiet in this situation uh and then he goes down there to investigate 
and they flee on foot. Uh, Liz says, we're in the middle of nowhere. We need a car. She just pushed one off of a cliff, but that is what she says. (laughs) Uh, And she leaves Christy there because Christy's injured and can't move very fast. Um, I get the feeling uh, you're not on board with like these decisions. That's such a fucking stupid decision. <laughs> which which one? <laughs> you're in the middle of nowhere trying to escape a killer. Yeah. And the only vehicle you have, you push off of a cliff? Uh, because like you could see 360 degrees in, in, in this area. And so as long as you're in that car and he's coming behind you, like he's, he, he knows exactly where you are, right? So all he's following in the dark is that car. So you got to get away from that vehicle. Like what, what else would you do? But you're in the middle of nowhere. How are you going to get? Somewhere else. Away. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought that was actually a really smart move to like uh, throw the car off and make him think that like you went off a cliff. Because otherwise, if they just kept driving, he would easily just caught, caught up with them and, and kill them. How do they know he would have easily caught up? Like, uh, do they even know he has another car? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not sure how confident where her confidence came from in that decision. But uh, I like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking the same thing as you. Like, why not just like keep driving to the night? But then you also think uh, they don't know this area. So maybe, like they're off roading, obviously. Right. So they don't really know where they're going. And there's like a cliff in front of them. Um, so maybe they accidentally get there because uh, it's dark and they can't see anything. And that's like the only thing they can think of to distract him. Um, I don't know how good their odds would have been. Uh, just if the, you would have just like kept kind of racing through the night, I would have just kept driving. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Yeah. I just feel like that something like that happens later, and he's obviously got the upper hand when it comes to driving. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I got mixed feelings. I okay. mean, I don't have mixed feelings. I think it's so dumb to get rid of the car <laughs> that you're driving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was a calculated and smart move. I, I gave her some props for that. Okay. All right. But then she also says we need a car. Yeah. I mean, so <laughs> it's not going to distract him that long to go down there. And yeah. Yeah. Ooh, God, you know what would have been smart? He he obviously chases him with the car. Then he gets out and goes down to inspect the car that they threw off. They should have just grabbed his car there. You know, now that I'm rehashing this in my mind, I think they tried and he, he had the keys. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um... Anyway, they have some dialogue and she's like, well, what if he catches me? And I don't know, the dramatic strings rise and it's like a big scene, like Liz leaving Christy there in the middle of the outback in the dark Mm -hmm. while she goes back to try to find a car. And I just, I wasn't into it, but what were you thinking? Because you're way more bought into this than me. I'm bought into it. I'm, first off, like I'm pretty impressed by Christy. Like she has suffered and, uh, you know, she's, I, I can't tell what he's done to her. Like, I, I know like, uh, she's like bleeding and stuff and like, he's had her tied up and, and, uh, she's just like, kind of like in the state of shock and, uh, it makes sense that like, she can't really hold it together right now. Whereas like Liz is like trying to be clear headed and like help them escape. And, uh, yeah, I, I, th- I think the, their, their planning and plotting seems pretty logical to me and believable. It's like they're in this big open area where like, there's nowhere to go for miles. There's a killer out there who like is faster than them, knows the area. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling for them. I'm pretty scared. What about you? I'm just not, uh, I'm just not bought into their like dialogue or their relationship even like. Really? This, this big goodbye just doesn't feel that big to me. Oh, yeah. I, di- I didn't see it much as a goodbye. I thought it was just like, wait here for five minutes. I'll be right back. But you, you, sure. you saw this more as like a uh, her like saying, 
To Christy, she was very scared that it could be goodbye. Yeah, like, yeah. She's like, what if he catches me again? Right, right. Yeah, I, I thought it was just... had a good answer. <laughs> That's not a good answer. You know, he probably will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, uh, yeah, I, I didn't see this as like a big emotional scene at all, but I, I heard you saying. Liz goes back to Mixed Compound and sees, investigates to see if she can find a vehicle. She also pokes around to see if she can find Ben while she's there. Um, she seemingly takes her time in a lot of ways. Like she yeah. <laughs> stops to read some newspaper clippings. I think this is when she finds a handgun and, and loads it frantically. Um, she goes through some possessions of previously captured people. She plays a video camera that reveals a family of tourists who had the exact same experience. Their car broke down at Wolf Creek. Um, Mick came by to help them and told them to his place and gave him rainwater from the roof. This is all captured on the video. Mm-hmm. She then plays video from another camcorder, which is Ben's, and finds out through this video, part of it, which he took at that gas station they stopped by earlier, that Mick's truck was at the gas station. Mm-hmm. This reveals that he was following them. This is not a plot point. Like, <laughs> if it was a plot point, it would have been earlier in the movie. Like, yeah. This tells us nothing. Like, uh-oh, he must really want to kill them. <laughs> like, we know. <laughs> yeah. We know he's, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, red flag. That's one red flag, yeah. Strike one. What? How is this pertinent at all? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the timing of that reveal wasn't very useful. Yeah, had it happened, like, around the campfire or something. Yeah, good point. And then she was like, oh, my, and then, like, kind of passed out Yeah. from the rainwater. Like, that would have been a fit. Right. Right. But now, it is incredibly urgent that she hurry. We just saw her fumbling with this gun, very urgently. But she takes her time to look through all these people's stuff I and know. like shine flashlights on all the photos on the wall. Yeah, <laughs> and watch two videos, like <laughs> not just one. <laughs> nonsense, That's, just yeah. nonsense. I agree with you on this part. Yeah, this this was frustrating to watch. Uh, I think there's a trope here, uh, which is frustrating. If you are a serial killer, do you ca- uh, collect newspaper clippings about your work? Is that a right? Pop- is that a thing? I have no idea if that's if there are any that do that. But. Yeah, that just seems like a weird thing. Like detectives doing that, you'll see that in movies, and that makes sense. Like they're trying to find someone, so they capture these things or keep collections of them to like see what uh, clues there are. But I don't know if you're someone who kills people if you uh, capture the newspaper clippings and like keep them on a wall somewhere. Yeah, I bet our, some of our true crime fan listeners might be able to tell us yeah. if that actually happens. Yeah, yeah, I'd be interested to know, right? Uh, right. But yeah, I, I agree. This this was just nonsense. Like she, I was surprised. Like she just had time to like stop and like wander through all this stuff. <laughs> there's so much that's just. I mean, there's so many things in a movie where you're like, okay, this is clearly for my benefit as the viewer. It's yeah. exposition, but this is just like so. And they've taken. There'd been multiple different instances where she's really taken her time to like show us this stuff and it's like we know already that he's <laughs> yeah. captured multiple people he's said such yeah I know. <laughs> like we've seen the clippings we've seen photos we've seen, seen videos it. we get it yeah yeah exactly yeah completely unnecessary all right so she's in this garage of his with a bunch of cars and she steps into one of the vehicles and it just so happens to be the same vehicle that mick has chosen to hide in to wait for her how he got in there first and knew she would get into this car i don't know but I will admit this is an effective jump scare. Yeah. 
when it's revealed that he's in the back seat and he stabs her through the seat. Did that get you? That got me. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Like, I, 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 yeah, you keep like thinking like, hurry, hurry, get out of there, get out of there. So she's in the car and then, yeah, holy shit, he's right there. Yeah. Although, you know, at first I was like finding it unbelievable that he would have made it in here and gotten into this car before she even entered the garage. Right. But now that I think about it, she did quite a lot of fucking around. Yeah. She's like <laughs> listening to movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. She's like eating popcorn, yeah, watching exactly. old videos. <laughs> no idea what's oh, going on. Remember the there. gas station? Yeah. Um, so she gets out of the car and struggles to fight Mick off, having been severely injured by this stab. But in the end, he tells her he's going to make her what he calls a head on a stick by severing her spinal cord so she's paralyzed from the neck down. And that's what he does. And we see her fall to the floor in pain and shock. Uh, and we assume she's now paralyzed. And we transition back to Christy. That's the thing that's like really brutal. Mm-hmm. But that's like really the first truly brutal thing that's happened in this movie. So for it right. to be called torture porn. Yeah. We have a brief glimpse of him with Christy and she's tied up, but mm-hmm. it's just not a torture porn movie to me. There's, I agree. there's not much torture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you hear like her fingers get cut off too, which is kind of gross, but. Right, that's true. Yeah. And def- you see them fall to the floor, right? Right, yeah, exactly. But yeah, nothing close to like what we've seen in, in other films, especially like New French Extremity or anything. Right. Um, so back to Christy, she wakes up in the morning out in the wilderness and makes it to a highway where she is picked up by a passenger, a passenger, a passing driver. Uh, the man helps Christy into the back seat and checks his truck for a blanket and water, but is soon shot dead by Mick, who is sniping him from the distance. Mick attempts to shoot Christy, but eventually resorts to shooting out one of her tires as she tries to escape in the man's vehicle. She loses control of the car, crashes and tries to stumble away from the scene, only to be shot in the back by Mick. He puts her and the random dude in the back of the dude's car and sets it on fire, presumably to destroy any evidence. (sighs) (laughs) I don't know if I should have a problem with this or not, but if it's a road frequented enough that a guy drives by and picks her up, then it surprises me that he's comfortable just standing there and lighting the car ablaze. Yeah, I think that's what's the really scary part about this film is he's like so free in this area and he's just like doing whatever he wants and is like so uh, not worried at all about the law or like being caught with anything. Uh, yeah, it just makes it feel like he owns this land and there's like no escaping him. There's like, It adds like a hopelessness to this. And yeah, I mean, I've, I've never been to Australia, but I understand like a lot of it is like not populated or the, like huge parts of it that are just uh, unpopulated, right? Right. So, right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I believed it. And uh, I think, like, part of that, like, feeds into his mentality of, yeah, uh, yeah there's someone there. I'm just going to kill them and, and burn the car. He's sure. pretty confident right. about it. Populated enough, though, that everyone seems to get found in, like, a day. <laughs> do they? Wait, do they? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yep. They, yeah. Um, anyway, so she's dead. Um, <laughs> back at Mick's compound, Ben awakens, nailed to a cross as if he's been crucified. He manages to pull his arms off the nails that have impaled him and escapes on foot into the outback. A couple discovers him collapsed near the road the next day, and they take him to a hospital, and he survives. We see dramatic shots of him being airlifted out, and we see him briefly in a suit, uh, and there's title cards that close the film by letting us know that no trace of Liz or Christie has ever been found. Early investigations into the case were disorganized, hampered by confusion over the lake location of the crimes, and a lack of physical evidence, 
and the alleged unreliability of the only witness, which was Ben. And after four months in police custody, Ben was cleared of suspicion. Hmm. So I guess that's why we see him in the suit, because he's a suspect, yeah. and there's court and a trial. Right. But it's like that wasn't, and maybe it is. I, I could only do so much research on the true events. But like Ben wasn't a real specific character or victim. Like mm-hmm. I did see a guy who was kind of a suspect for a minute uh, in some of one of these murders by one of these dudes. But I don't know that there were details of anybody who was like in custody for four months. Maybe there were. Hmm. But Isn't it's just a weird thing to put onto a fictional character in like a afterward. It is via yeah. text. Yeah, I can't remember the story who it was like a few years ago uh, that this happened to. I want to say like somewhere in Europe and uh, like, like yeah, a couple went there. One of them came back. The other one didn't. And like naturally, like the one who came back, like was a suspect for a long time, but like no evidence was ever found. So I thought that's just a commentary on like the nature of like how these things go. Like the survivor is, uh, though I think in that case, do you remember that story or who that was? I, yeah, yeah, I do remember it. I don't remember many details, but yeah. it's vaguely familiar to me. Yeah, so I I, I I could see that happening um, where he's like the suspect because he's the one that survived and there's no evidence of the contrary. Um, but yeah, I also kind of just felt like, a, I know they were trying to be realistic, but it felt a little bit like anticlimactic after everything we'd seen. It's kind of a, a weird fizzle. Very anticlimactic. We hadn't seen Ben on screen for like 45 minutes and his <laughs> <Yeah>. escape. <laughs> he escapes from being crucified, wanders into the desert, wakes up and is discovered and airlifted out of there in the course of probably five minutes or yeah. less. <laughs> yeah, I know. I assumed he was dead the whole time. Did, did you think so? I, I thought maybe we'd figure it out sooner or later. I uh-huh. didn't, didn't hold a belief one way or the other. Okay. Um, there's also an eclipse, two shots of an eclipse oh, during yeah. his escape, which... Yep. Just kind of pointless to me. I saw a reason for it, which I'll get into later. But, okay. <laughs> um, And then the last shot of the film is Mick wielding a rifle and walking into the sunset until he dissolves. Yeah. A very, very anticlimactic ending. Uh, it is. Uh, it's it's kind of spooky, and I, I wonder how they pick up on it in the sequels. But, yeah, it's just like this guy's out there, and uh, he's not scared of nothing. Yeah, I guess not. I mean, it's so surprising to me, too, that, like, none of these things, you know, th- this is fictionalized. There were no victims that drove a car off a cliff to fake a guy out. Like, mm-hmm. So, for the police to be so disorganized and have this confusion and think Ben was a suspect, that is surprising to me knowing that there were, like, two burned bodies <laughs> oh, on the side of the road. In a car on the side of the road. Yeah. Everyone's been picked up and the bodies were burned like within walking distance of the place. But yeah. they couldn't find this place that has videos and like photographic evidence and newspaper clippings. Yeah. Well, it, you know, I wonder if this goes back to that opening title card that you had an issue with because a lot of people go missing and maybe the police are busy finding the 90% of them. And so <laughs> right. I don't have time for the go hunting clues. They're on these. like, you know, our success rate's pretty good. Yeah, so. exactly. We're doing okay. <laughs> if you get down to like 60, 70%, then maybe like they'll start looking deeper into this stuff. Right. But lay off us for now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's just such a volume of, of activity going on here that like, yeah, th- these clues, which you think would be pretty obvious to look for, maybe uh, they don't have time to connect the dots because there's so much else going on. Maybe, man. So there, on the eclipse, there's this dude who wrote a book, uh, 
called Australian Horror Films, 1973 to 2010. His name is Peter Shelley, and he wrote of the eclipse scene, The solar eclipse that is, that is shown adds a yin-yang element to the treatment. The shadow over the victim, Ben, and a dark profile of the Swedish, bash, Swedish backpacker wearing a Mick-type hat creates the expectation of Mick finding him. Huh. I didn't feel that. Was there ever a moment where you're like, oh, it's Mick, not like two people who... Because did, they didn't play that scene for suspense. It was just like he... They didn't. ...collapsed, and then like the next morning the people were there, right? Yeah, Unless I'm yeah. totally misremembering. Yeah, they didn't build that out at all. Uh, I'm surprised. Because I definitely felt that when it was um, the other woman... Uh, was her name Mary? There was a Liz and a Christy. Oh, Christy, right. When, when Christy was walking down the highway and the car's coming up on her, I definitely felt like right. that. But uh, sure. yeah, you're right. We don't feel that because he's passed out. So maybe we don't get that view of like, oh shit, something's coming up. I'm not trying to call out Peter Shelley, but I feel like sometimes there's, with the horror academics, they really try to push some things. I mean, so much of what they write is really insightful and I yeah. learn a lot, but sometimes it's like, Nah, you're giving it too much credit. I think there. so. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's they just wanted an eclipse shot. <laughs> exactly. This looks really cool. Yeah, I actually thought what that might be tying to is uh, this theme in the film. Uh, going back to the meteor comment, like why does a meteor hit here? Why does like lightning strike in certain places? There's something in the earth. So it's, I don't know if they're tying like the randomness of like nature to like the randomness of like this dude uh, in the middle of nowhere who's killing them. And to the to the the eclipse, you think there's a connection there, perhaps? That's a stretch. I mean, it's more astute than than Peter Shelley's comment, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, but I do think the the film was very into nature photography. Oh yeah, and some of its praise came from that. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. it is a very beautiful setting, so. I think there was just a bit of a desire to like show more nature shots, but right. <laughs> uh, because they did it because they could, I felt like probably yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what did you think of the movie? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I can tell um, I might be <laughs> enjoyed it a little bit more than you, maybe, but uh, yeah, I, I thought uh, very familiar story. We've seen this like Hills Have Eyes and Texas Chainsaw, but I, I thought what this one did really well um, was like that opening 30, 40 minutes where it's just unstructured dialogue and you really get to feel like you're hanging out with these main characters. The crazy kind of like way the 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 killings start happening and like it's almost like so nonchalant that it's like really disturbing where like suddenly there's this crazy violence going on uh, towards them and then uh, I found myself like really tied to their escapes uh, like I kept thinking like Liz is like an amazing final girl but apparently she wasn't and then uh, Christy too then I'm like okay cool is she gonna make it out but then she doesn't make it out and uh, it's actually a real I was really surprised that this last guy was even still alive uh, and to make it out so yeah it kept I thought the suspense and like uh, the there's a lot of guessing going on where it made it pretty unpredictable towards the end for me um and like you said like the nature and like where the the setting takes place uh i thought it was like added a beautiful element to it and and then i think the biggest part here for me was i really liked that villain i thought he was like equally uh charming and disarming and then like incredibly scary uh which is a crazy combination but uh what what about you what what did you think i didn't care for the movie um (laughs) And no offense to you, Christine, I'm glad that you requested this, and it's always kind of like been on my radar. I was going to watch it sooner or later. Um, and no offense to Australia, because it feels like Australia, this is a, a big 
Australia seems proud of this movie. Yeah, it's a big deal for them. Yeah, yeah, and I don't mean to knock knock that element, but I just my biggest I have a lot of big gripes. Let's hear. Them. I like I said before, I just don't care for the style of editing and sh- and cinematography. Like in some movies it works. But it's it's not a found footage movie and it's just it feels so forced to me that the camera's just always moving and it's it's not just that. It's combined with some of the editing and the shot selection like when they're on the way back to his place, we like toggle back and forth between all of them with just neutral expressions on their face and various parts of the truck. Yeah. <laughs> like the truck that's pulling them for like three solid minutes. And yeah. it just feels like there's this like film schoolish approach to movies sometimes where it, it just feels like a student film when we're like, okay, for, we're cutting from this thing and now it's like a super close up on like someone's hands with an object or a certain piece of a mechanism of something. We don't even know what it is or why it's there, but it mm. feels artsy to show a shot of that. So let's do it. Yeah, it's just. So you thought you, fe- you thought it like felt like very forced and like uh, it was trying too hard. Yeah, it feels forced and unearned. And then there's just some like what seemed to be straight up errors to me in the editing. Like there was a horrible cut at one point from Christie's feet running, like through the desert to her, or no, maybe it was Liz, and then we cut to her just standing completely. Still, mm-hmm. and like the the score change was similarly ab- abrupt too. I thought like it almost felt like a shot was missing from Tubi, like oh. w- like it was a mistake. But I yeah. don't think that it was just very abrupt. You know what I'm talking about or not? No, this is at night while they're running away. I think it was on the way back after she left Christy there. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, and then that scene where she's fumbling with the gun and the bullets, like. That was 30 seconds long of her frantically fumbling with the gun, and there were 19 cuts in that 30 seconds. Oh, wow. <laughs> and there were all shots of her hands in the gun, except for a few that cut back to her face. Yeah, yeah. And it to me, that was just totally forced urgency. Yeah. I, I felt it, that, though, like that level of panic, like as she's like fumbling with the guns and the shells. So it kind of worked on me, but uh, it sounds like it didn't on you. Yeah, and I think that this is a thing about my review, is if you're not bought into the characters and you're not along for the ride... <laughs> it's all going to feel like, what are you even doing here? But if you're yeah. bought in, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, right. To me, and it, if you're going to do that, then don't show her like slowly going through all these records and watching videos. Right. Like, yeah, that kind of broke the momentum. <laughs> like the a panic. minute or two ago, we had 19 cuts in 30 seconds <laughs> yeah. as she was frantically fumbling with something. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I agree that... Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. For me, that the stylistic way they shot it uh, worked, but uh, I, I'll agree with you that the that scene uh, was terrible. That like, yeah, she shouldn't have been in there looking at through videos. The other scene that you mentioned though, where they're in the car and like the camera just going back and forth, I thought that was really effective in building up like how scared they must be. Like they're pretty powerless. Their car's just being like dragged, and like they're talking about like how long they've been in there for. And you realize, like, they have, like, no option at this point. They're just being towed and, like, there's no way out. So it kind of, like, kind of added that element that I think the second half of this movie does really well is give you the sense of, like, there's really nowhere to escape to uh, because, like, you're in this vast open area that you don't know. Yeah, and, I mean, they did have to, like, portray that this is a long drive. Right. Um, yep. But yeah, I just felt like it, it could have been done better. We could have... Had there's just a little drama to me. What did you say? Oh, did you say there was little drama? 
Yeah, like I, I mean, it's a. It sounds silly to say because these people are like, yeah, borderline tortured and murdered and hunted. But and Liz especially is just like wailing the whole t- time. Right. But I just. I felt like the movie just didn't have many like dramatic arcs. It was just like, yep, checking off the boxes and like now we do this, now we do this. Okay, she passed out. Now she's awake. She finds Christy. Yeah, like, that happens so fast. That's what I thought was so brilliant about it. Because I, I, I think another film, if you compare this to like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something, those events are going to be so much more dramatic, more produced, louder music. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, more intense something. Uh, but this is so like underproduced, and uh, the lack of drama I think makes it feel more realistic, almost. Uh, where it's like it feels more real life than something that's like a movie you're watching or, or some kind of like script or some kind of production, doesn't it? I didn't feel that way. Um, I still think you need to have pacing, like in structure. Yeah. If it was found footage, it's interesting. If it was found footage, I think I'd give it more of a pass. Mm. But I still don't think I would like it. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I it, was, it was hard for me to tell because uh, I, I think the found footage camera style brings it to life, but it, it had it didn't have like the annoying things. Do you feel like the camera bounced like the same amount as the found footage, or was it like a little more steadier? I almost feel like it moved more than in a found footage oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. I you know I I felt it a lot at the beginning, like all that like kind of jerky camera motion. But then I thought that kind of went away like uh, halfway through but did it not it it does actually stabilize in some of the more intense scenes which again gave me even more of that vibe of like this is a forced mm. forced vibe like yeah. why is the camera moving more when nothing is happening than when <laughs> a bunch of things are happening, happening. Yeah. yeah yeah that's a good point and like there's so I, the movie itself and and you could do this with a lot of slashers but like there's so little plot it's just there's backpackers, they get captured, two of them die and one escapes. Right. And I can oversimplify any movie's plot like that, but really you're not missing that much. Right. Like, there's not, I haven't left out any crucial element of the film. Exactly. Like, yeah. There's I, just not much to it. Yeah. I think we've had this discussion on other, other movies too where like, yeah, there's not a lot going on. But sometimes I think like that it, uh, makes it just feel more real. Sometimes if it's captured in the right way, or like the performances are strong enough, or like the whole thing is like feels uh, underdeveloped, and that, that's what I think worked to their benefit here. Um, whereas like if it had more complicated plot points or more dramatic like dialogue or like a uh, uh, plot points or yeah I already said plot points, but yeah or or like swooping music or something, uh, then it w- it would have pulled you out of like the real. I, th- I think this movie like the whole strength of it is like let's be as real as possible and just make it seem like real real time versus uh, a movie. Yeah, I I think that th- sometimes for me the adverse effect happens if you try really hard to make it seem gritty and realistic mm-hmm. it does i it doesn't feel that way to me but if you do the typical movie stuff then like i'm in the world and i'm engaged like sure it feels realistic because i'm i'm engaged yeah 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 right you, you feel like you're yeah yeah you feel like it's it's like speaking to you or like it has an, the audience in mind i guess exactly like I, i've forgotten i'm watching a movie Right. Even though it does all the things a movie does because it got me to care. Yeah. And yeah, I, I feel like that's what most movies try to do. I, th- I think yeah. this one uh, purposefully didn't try to do that and it had like a different effect. Yeah. I, I think it either works for you or it doesn't probably. Right. Sounds like it worked I mean, for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and 
the both the critic score and the user score on Rotten Tomatoes are right around fifty percent. So yeah, so I think it kind of makes sense that we're split. Right, right, yeah, just dividing people. Um, yeah, I, uh, really interesting that that you called out. Yeah, it's not really a torture porn then, right? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it's got that spirit. It's a like mean, brutal movie, but yep. I wouldn't yep. call it torture porn. Yeah, uh, what what do you think of the theme around? Uh, like, yeah, obviously he's like a, of a rural uh, origin. Whereas, like, he's talking, like, he's got, like, some sense of, like, he hates foreigners, as, as he mentions to these girls, because they're from the UK, and he kind of makes fun of where this, this dude is from, Ben, like, the, the city. Um, do you think, like, that played a big role here, as, or do you think it was just kind of, like, dropped in there without much Yeah, reason? and they have an encounter with some, like, ruffians at a local bar or gas station slash bar. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a theme. Uh the typical like urbanoia type themes but i don't think they're hit very hard or developed or woven through in any significant way unless i'm blinded by my anger and missing something <laughs> which is quite possible no i i feel the same way i feel like they had some cool themes up front that uh kind of get lost as soon as the violence starts happening and it just becomes more of a survival film uh which is yeah is, is kind of a miss unfortunately yeah right and like the romance between Ben and Liz just kind of it goes nowhere we don't get a it's just like if you're going to fictionalize things do it in a way that allows a bit more of a dramatic catharsis than just yeah Ben got away <laughs> like <laughs> he made it <laughs> they might as well have just shown a title card that said that like yeah. <laughs> they gave us like four minutes of his escape yeah I which mean, was completely and utterly without drama yeah he got himself out scurried off and was found Right. There was no suspense to that. Uh, there was no suspense. I don't know. Like, I mean, I thought he was dead the whole time. So even just seeing him was like, oh my God, like, how's he still hanging in there? Then I started thinking, like, how come he got let off, like, kind of easy? Like, oh, he was just, like, pinned to a wall, basically, and, and he could just... He just made, like, two accidental crucifixion puns. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Did I? <laughs> Getting fixed to a wall? <laughs> what was the other one? I think you said he was hanging in there, and then he got let off. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just. I think I was just shocked from like uh, that that he was still even in the picture, and then and then I don't know. I think there was some suspense because he's like running, and you don't really know where Mick is. Like he, that's the thing. He could be anywhere in this film, or like see you from anywhere. Um, so yeah, I wasn't sure he was going to make it out. Uh, so I, I got some suspense there. You didn't have any. No, I don't. No, I didn't really. Oh man. Uh, um, yeah. I did. I did. What did you think of uh, John Jarrett? Wait, is that his name? What's his name? Yeah, John Jarrett. John Jarrett. Jarrett. His his performance. Really, really good, man. I I thought uh, this Mick guy was like super well played. Because uh, yeah, you meet him and he seems pretty okay and pretty harmless, somewhat charming and kind of funny. Uh, then like how he slowly becomes like a little bit more menacing over the campfire and then just like even like while he's like torturing them he's like kind of like laughing to himself uh, so for a villain who talks which I generally am against uh, I thought he did a decent job what did you think I thought he did a good job I, I think he, it was a good villainous performance but at the same time this all goes back to my forced sense of realism to me he was like kind of cartoony Mm -hmm. and the other characters were supposed to be depicted as like super uber realistic yeah. and so it just didn't didn't fuse with the movie that well it's like we're a fly on the wall as these people talk about real life stuff but then they meet this 
typical horror movie villain, you know, it just, yeah. If he had been more authentic or realistic, then it, it would have been scarier in my opinion. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of like, um, like who he reminds, like, yeah. Uh, so you think he was like too familiar, like as compared to like, who would you compare him to? Like, uh, not like- familiar. I would like look at the villain in like the Poughkeepsie tapes and just like how, when he would encounter victims, like on his videos, he would just be like such like a normal random dude, oh, understated, yeah. and then you know things are over for them. But Start this guy's like them, yeah. larger than life, you know. Um, yeah, he he's very over the top villainous in a lot of ways, mm. which is cool. I think it's a good performance, and and it worked. I I don't that wouldn't be the part of the movie I'd change, but. Right. It doesn't contrast well with the... With the characters, yeah. Oh, these are just people you know type characters. Sure, sure. Yeah, I could see that. That's a good point. Uh, but speaking of silliness, though, like, I mean, uh, uh, like, Freddy Krueger is, like, the other one that strikes me as, like, a, a bad guy who tries to be silly, and I, I feel like this guy made it work a little better than Freddy Krueger typically does. Don't you dare. Here I go. <laughs> <laughs> So compare this guy to Freddy Krueger is just all right. Yeah, that's it. I'm not gonna let you do it. Okay, <laughs> not, not just because Freddy Krueger is awesome, but because he's Different. a dream demon that kills people <laughs> in their sleep. And, and this guy's so much scarier because he's not even he, he's he's in real in the real world and he's just hanging out in this huge chunk of Australia where like no one can find him. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah. And, but everybody yeah. seems to find all the victims within a day. Yeah. Yeah, they got lucky in, in that situation, I guess, yeah. Um, oh, and then Liz Liz dies, right? Liz dies. One okay. can only assume. They they say they never found her or Christy. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. How could they not find... They, there would be remains of a body in the burned car. Uh, he might have moved that burned car, man. I'm telling you, like, he's... There's, like, no one for, like, yeah, miles out there. He could, Except he, for the people that find everybody within a day. <laughs> but yeah, he could have moved the car. I guess that's fair. Yeah. yeah but assuming. like he would have waited for the fire to... Yeah. It's just... Yeah, it would have been easier probably before it burned to, to move Yeah, it. right. Yeah. Right. And then why burn it if you're just going to move it? Right, right. You Actually, could have easily just towed it and look like you're just a guy towing a car. Exactly. If you burn it though, does it burn evidence of the bodies or people would still find dead bodies in there? I think the skeletons and the teeth remain... Okay. I mean, yeah, I don't think it would just be perfectly reduced to ash. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't sure how the human body burns, but yeah. All right. Makes sense. Well, it's probably for the best that you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> just one of those things. All right. Zero to five missing backpackers. What do you give this movie? Oh, man. I was going to give it four missing backpackers. Uh, but yeah, I'm starting to hear some of the bad decisions and especially that that scene in the room so i, I think i'm gonna go to three and a half uh missing backpackers was that that was the rating yeah that's yeah. the scale uh per- yeah perhaps I'm, distasteful scale okay yeah that was yeah. uh but yeah overall uh you know i i think this is a pretty straightforward torture and, and kill or like catch and f- uh kill film uh, like we've seen this plot so many times, but I think it's heightened by the camera work, which I was bought into. And I, I think it effectively gave it a, a real feel. Um, the performances, both uh, the villain as well as the the two women, I thought, uh, gave a really strong performance. And then, um, yeah, it just had a very disturbing and mean feel to it that I think other films in this genre 
that try to do this uh, miss because they, uh, I don't know, fall into overproducing it or uh, fall into certain tropes that make it feel more predictable. So, yeah, I had a really good time watching this one. How about you? I think it's an unoriginal horror film that depends on its frenetic camera work and editing to infuse a sense of urgency that the characters and plot fail to achieve. And I give it 1.5 out of 5 oh, missing backpackers. Woof. <laughs> I do not care for it at all. I don't even... To the fact that it's included on, like, top 100 films period of the decade or, like, top 24 scariest movies of all time, like... I was just like, I even like commented on my notes, like, am I drunk? Like what, (laughs) what are people seeing in this movie that I have missed? But I, whatever it was, I missed it, man. Yeah. That's crazy. I had the opposite reaction watching this. I was like, holy shit, how come we don't talk about this film more? Like this is brilliant and like really well done and and dark and disturbing. And this killer is like incredible. Uh, This should be like a more, more uh, seen, more talked about film. I think that I would guess there's a lot of people who feel the same way as you and me, and that's perhaps why it's not as talked about. Yeah, interesting how divisive it is. Yeah, I don't know, though. I'd like to hear from our listeners on this. Like, did anybody else think that this was as dumb as I did, or was there pee in my cereal? Pee. (laughs) Cornflakes, yeah. (laughs) I mean, some of those decisions were just so dumb. I mean... I don't know. I take forever to like look through these videos. That, yeah. I, I guess driving the car off a cliff, maybe it's debatable, but to me, it's just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Bold choice. Yeah. Yeah. That, that one I struggled with, but, the, but ultimately I came around and figured that the, what they did was the best. Cause yeah, later he like, he chases down that girl so easily on the, uh, with, with the other car. So that you're in his territory. He, he's got like the upper hand. He knows where the road goes. He knows he's got like these faster cars. So how I don't about think when she hits, what? How about when she hits him on the back with the with the gun? The rifle. Yeah. That that that's bad. Yeah. Woo Two done? hits on the back. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, any any time I I just have it in my head that I'm smashing someone's head until oh, it's yeah. gone. Yeah. If I'm ever in a situation like that, right, go for the I head. just I keep stomping. Yeah, yeah. I really thought he was and She's got a rifle. I mean, just swing it hard at his head. Right. That would do it. A handful of times and that's that's good. Yeah. I thought not to uh, mention he's in you're in like a torture room. I'm sure there's a knife something <laughs> inches yeah. from you. Right, right. Uh I thought uh I actually thought he, he had died when she shot him. Uh and I thought like the movie was over and that it was just like that one attack. So I was all surprised he came back after that. Yeah, man. If I'm ever in a situation I've seen too many horror movies. I'm not letting anybody be until their head is like <laughs> the head is detached <laughs> or unrecognizable. <laughs> oh man, you're going all the way. <laughs> Nothing stopping this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just need to take your head for a minute, then, then I'll be done. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but dude, but just yeah. to be safe. Just to be safe. I've got to com- completely <laughs> remove this whole situation you exactly. got up here. <laughs> Nothing but the head. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess uh, we learned our lesson here on that one. Right. Anything else, man? That's all I got. Okay. Well, agree to disagree is the theme of this episode. This has been our discussion on Wolf Creek. Uh, let us know what you think. I'd love to hear who's, whose side you're on with this. I'm guessing I'm probably in the minority on this one, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, if you want to connect with us, go to horrormovieclub.com. Click on the, uh, there's a little drop down that says social links. You can find links to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can talk to us there. That's also where we announce what we're going to be covering next week. There's also a link to our Discord server where you can interact with other listeners and horror movie fans. Uh, let's see. You can just email us at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. 
If you want to support us for a dollar a month and gain access to some bonus content, go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the big orange Patreon button. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you desperately need to get back to town to get help, destroy any vehicles that you may have at your disposal. <laughs> Life has a way of sorting itself. Exactly. You'll find another one. There might be someone <laughs> in the back seat, though. We don't have that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs>